Welcome to the OpEx Effect, a joint podcast from Excess Returns and Spot Gamma, where we take a deep dive into the world of options and the flows they generate in the markets. Join Brent Kachuba, Jack Forehand, and me, Justin Carboneau, every month on the Options Exploration Week as we look at the major developments in the options world and how they impact all of our portfolios. No information on this podcast should be construed as investment advice. Securities discussed in the podcast may be holdings of clients of Lydia Capital. All right, Brent, we are super excited to... Uh, be doing this collaborative project with you. One of the great things um, in doing excess returns and in having um, guests on like yourself is we get to talk to people that are uh, in very different markets than we play in with our day jobs. Um, but you know we can learn from people like you that specialize in options and other parts of the market. And what's even cooler is you know, we've decided to do this sort of collaboration where um, on a monthly basis, we're going to get together. We're going to have you on. We're going to sit down and talk with you about all the different things that you're seeing in the options market with the flows, dealer positioning, and sort of some interesting trends and insights um, that you're sharing with your subscribers and that you're educating, you know, people that follow you um, on. So, this is a new initiative, a new sort of, I guess, podcast we're, we're launching with you. We're calling it, as you can, people can see on the screen, the OpEx effect. Um, and, you know, we're just, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're excited to, to kind of jump into this. I think this is going to be pretty, um, pretty data intensive in the sense that, you know, there's going to be a lot of slides here that Brent will show. And so for people that are listening to us on audio, you know, it'd be great if you could pop over to YouTube and check out the Excess Returns channel and check out this episode um, to see the slides. But if you can't, what we're going to do also is we're going to put a link to the slides in the description of the audio. So people are going to be, be able to download these and then, you know, reference some of this stuff over at Spot Gamma if you want to kind of look at it further. So, um, yeah, maybe I'll just stop there, Brent, and I'll give you sort of a minute or two just to um, talk about sort of what, you know, you're hoping to to accomplish with this, and then we'll kind of get into it. Thank you guys uh, so much. I'm I'm really excited about this. Uh, I just realized the opex effect kind of sounds like the butterfly effect. So, or call buyer flaps his wings, uh, moves markets. I guess is the uh, analogy there. But uh, the the thing I think we're trying to do here is, is you guys tend to have a lot of the advisory, a little bit longer term, um, longer term investor uh, audience, and and I think the options market is shows data and, and has impact for this type of investor or uh, even a trader that has a little bit of a longer term time view. And, and the options expiration, which we're going to talk about, we're doing this every month for options expiration, because a lot of times those options uh, positions, their maximum effect comes in around that third Friday of each month, particularly around the quarterly options expiration. So our goal here is to highlight how options analysis and positional analysis can be useful for those with a time frame outside of just you know zero DTE options, um, as so much is dominated now in the options market by those flows that you forget that there's a whole lot of other positions that are happening, and it's not only interesting I think from a positional perspective, but also from a sentiment perspective, uh, as some of our little case studies here will will document. I think that's great. I think yeah, this intersection of you know options tend to be shorter term, but like you said, it has this impact on you know mid range and even longer term investment themes and positioning and and all that kind of stuff. So that's where we're going to hopefully find the sweet spot here with a lot of the material that we're going to 
um, go over. But maybe that that's a good place to just kind of let's start there, like at that, you know, why do you think long-term investors should be paying attention to some of the things in the options market? Yeah, thanks, Justin. So for for that, we'll we'll dive into the old presentation here. Um and what I want to start with is is record overall options volume. And, you know, I think a lot of people probably are aware of this by now, but I want to provide a chart just to reveal exactly how much this volume has grown over the last couple of years. And this comes with, you know, commission-free trading in, you know, around 2020 and, and you know, the rise of zero DT options now. But there's also a growth in options uh, in all the magnificent seven stocks and the like. And now we're seeing record volumes in TLT options. And so, you know, the, the options market has become this way that a lot of investors and traders have turned to express trading ideas. And again, that, that matters from a positional perspective, but also a sentiment perspective. And the reason that it matters from a positional perspective is all of these positions need to be hedged, right? And it's those hedging flows and the analysis of those hedging flows that really, really think give us an edge um, as we can sort of document where those, uh, those option strikes are positioned, when they're going to expire, we can estimate how those dealer flows or market-making hedging flows are going to influence the stock. And that can affect you on different time frames. Uh, and we're going to give some of those examples uh, here. So to give a, an example of the relationship between options positions and volatility, um, this kind of underlines the impact of options trading on, on market flows. And, and what you have here along the x-axis is our measurement of gamma. We call it a gamma index. And essentially what it's doing is it's measuring through our models, the amount of gamma that's in the market for the S&P 500. And gamma is just a, a word that you can use to say how much hedging has to take place today uh, for a given move in, in the S&P 500. And what you can see is that as the gamma index declines, so if you start to push it towards negative, uh, which is a more of a put-dominated market, volatility expands. And what's so interesting about this chart is that this documents, number one, our forecast, which is in red, versus what the market is actually doing on a forward one-day basis in blue. So what we're basically telling you is, in the morning, we tell you, here's how much gamma is in the market, and here's how much volatility you should expect today because of this. And then the blue dots are telling you how much realized volatility actually occurred. And so what this demonstrates is, on a short-term basis, the link between options positioning the S&P 500 and a single day's volatility. And if you zoom out on this, you look at how much volatility is in the market, what is the level of the VIX, uh, if you look at changes around options expiration, we recently did a podcast, uh, I guess it was a couple of months ago now, where we documented for everybody how the market moves around options expiration. Uh, there's a lot of data and information in those slides, and I don't want to repeat that here, but if you go back and reference that presentation, um, we talk about some of those longer-term effects. So, you know, this is just a very simple way to show you in very detailed um, form the, the correlation between options positioning and, and realized volatility in the S&P. I'm just curious, going, going back to slide one, what do you think the biggest cause of the rise in options activity is? I mean, obviously you've got COVID. I mean, if you look at the chart, it's clear in 2020, that seems to, it has to be COVID driven. But before that, it was going up a lot too. So what do you think are the biggest causes of that? There's been the, uh, a lot of it is access, right? It was 10, 15 years ago, it was harder to get online options trading. The, the markets weren't that liquid. There wasn't smart routers like there are now. There weren't as many exchanges. And so a lot of it is sort of, technology unleashed on the options market that gave people access, uh, the rise of cheap options commissions, not just for the retail investor, but also for the hedge fund community as well. And you could kind of dial this into payment for order flow and different things like that, but that just drove the cost of trading down. And so spread started to get tighter through that access. 
it got cheaper to express options trade. And, and the market by and large has, you know, the, the trading market as a, or, or traders in general have really come to understand options, I think, are, are learning to use them uh, in intelligent ways. And, you know, I think that has, has really bred the, the growth here. So, um, you know, it, it starts with technology offering access. And, and then, it, you know, when you go through with, you know, the growth of, of products and, and understanding of how to use these products, uh, it's, it's become something of a feedback loop. I'm just curious on slide two, is it, is it easier? I mean, it would seem to be from the data. Like it's, it's, it's impressive how tight, like going to the right, the red dots and the blue dots are. Is it much easier to forecast volatility when it's low than it is in periods where it's really high? I think that there are, there are two sides to that. Um, it's a great question. Number one is when you have markets that are dominated by call positions, volatility goes down, right? And, and that's, those are the years basically from April of 2020 into November of 2021, those were markets that were dominated by call positions. Those were buy the dip markets, realized volatility just continued to get suppressed. And as a result, those had lower volatility markets on one month basis as well. So even if you're a longer term investor, the implications of this kind of echo through. It is the, you know, the, the OPEX effect, right? You have uh, dips are being bought. It is a slower grind in, in the S&P to the upside, but that's a market that has lower risk. You know, the classic kind of uh, vault control funds or risk parity funds, whatever it may be, they're getting lower volatility that drives money into equities. It becomes this, you know, reinforcing uh, reflexive feedback loop, so to speak. And it's a, it's a market regime, right? And, and, the, and it can last really years where you maybe have, you know, a few weeks here where, you know, puts expand because of a headline comes off. But in general, people buy that dip and things continue. After January of 2022, we spent most of the time now kind of to the left of 1.0 on this chart. And, and that volatility has been reflexive. People have been, by and large, buying puts or selling puts. has been put trading that's been dominating the market. Um, you know, you could argue that kind of maybe into August of this year that, that changed slightly, but the tone of the market's been different. Um, and so back to your original question, it's a different trading environment, which is some of what this is, is showing you. But the other thing that maybe this chart doesn't show quite as well is that there is also... I think a lower bound to this market uh, when the put positions get so large that volatility spreads widen out and it just becomes disincentivizes people to trade puts. So what I mean by that is the cost of volatility hedging gets too high. The cost of puts get too high. Puts haven't been performing well. Um, and so you can see there's a few red dots way to the left of this chart. You know, the very lower bound of this chart where actually I think you could pick up where the bottom of the market is based on how puts are acting. People don't want to pay for insurance anymore, right? Is, is basically what that starts to reflect. And dealer positioning, I think it's so full on puts uh, that, you know, that market makers are required to offer bid, a bid and offer, right? But they can charge prices that are so high that it disincentivizes trading or it, or it, or it draws sellers out, right? If I want a put and the put is priced at 100 vol, well, I may just sell it because I know that S&P vol will never go that high, right? Um, so there is... Again, if you if you look at this, there is kind of an extreme lower bound of volatility that starts to show up. Well, well, first of all, you're you're definitely a pro here because you already got the title of the podcast into your answer. Like within nine minutes of us starting, you've already got the opex effects in there. So uh, we could tell we're dealing with a pro here. But uh, what you just talked about in terms of like people buying tons of puts and then how that impacts the market, that kind of gets into your next slide here, which is this this opex cycle. And and I remember the the big lesson for me around this opex cycle was when the Trump and Biden uh, disputed election came up. And I think tons of people were buying puts as we headed into that election, you know, thinking we were going to have a catastrophe 
And then we got a disputed election and the market did not go down and went up. Um, and so maybe, maybe, maybe you could use that as an example or something else and talk about sort of this cycle and how all this works. We can just use Friday. I have a chart of this, you know, unfortunately last week, you know, tensions in the Middle East flared up and, you know, it's a, it's a really bad situation and, and it's unfortunate. And, you know, um, so, you know, my comments here don't, don't reflect kind of that, that situation, but the VIX on Friday moved significantly higher uh, relative, and I think I have this chart, so I'm just going to bump for real quick because the question came up. Um, so this chart here on the x-axis is the intraday move for the S&P 500. So what did the, what's the difference between the open and close, right, in percentage terms? And then on the y-axis is the change in VIX from the open to the close. And so what you see here is there's this little green dot, a little tough to see. But what that shows us is basically on Friday, the VIX moved more than you would expect for the given move in the S&P. The S&P was only down about 85 point, basis points intraday, and the VIX spiked, uh, you know, three, four points. And what happened on Friday was people were very concerned about the war over the weekend and, and if those tensions were going to escalate. And that led to a lot of hedging uh, or demand for VIX and volatility hedges. And, you know, kind of to your point before, Jack, around, you know, the, the Biden-Trump election or a lot of these events that people hedge that don't translate into market impact, right? Um, you and I, you know, the three of us could sit here and probably outline a few scenarios in which Wall Street would be deeply concerned about the events in, in the Middle East or whatever it may be. And unfortunately, it would take a magnificent increase, you know, just just uh, something that is, magnificent is not a great term for it, but just this, this jump in escalation, like Iran joins and, and you know, Egypt joins all at once and, and chaos just, totally erupts, right? Then then maybe Wall Street would would react to that. But anything lighter than that, it's likely that you just overpaid for VIX hedges and, and you're hedging kind of your emotions as opposed to actually doing something that's going to be impactful for your portfolio, if that makes sense. Um, and it was the same thing, just real quick, in, in the Russian escalation in Ukraine as well, right? Everyone was sitting here like, this is going to be bad, this is going to be bad, this is going to be bad. But the VIX made its 2022 intraday high in January and it never went higher for the rest of the year. So, you know, I think a lot of times our emotions as, you know, people living through, you know, the, the situation, it doesn't reflect in price action. Yeah. So the idea is basically as, as more and more people are hedging a specific event, the bar keeps going up that that event has to get over. So at a certain level of hedging, it doesn't really matter how bad the event is. Like we've, we've hedged like the worst case scenario for some of these things. Yeah. And that's, that's hundred percent right. And so, you know, the, the VIX went to 20. Um, on Friday's close, right in that neighborhood. It was a significant move. People were getting very concerned about, you know, that rise in VIX. And our our point, and we put it on Twitter, you know, just that, look, you know, it's an awful situation. Doesn't mean the VIX should be at 20, right? Doesn't mean you should be paying up for portfolio. And then today the VIX is back down to, you know, 17 and the S&P rallied one and a half percent because all that ball comes off and the market just rallies right back, right? And so I think when you understand some of these options mechanics, you can understand a little bit better kind of what's happening in the supply and demand of, of hedging. And one other point is, you know, in 2022, the other thing that got a lot of people was that volatility never really spiked, right? In the way that a lot of people thought it would, and the market made new lows and, and volatility never spiked. And, and what a lot of that was, is going to touch on this presentation, is people bought puts and puts never performed. Like puts and vol owning volatility never really paid off in 2022. And there's a lot of arguments for why that is. I think the best one is people just sold stocks, right? Rates are going higher. I'm just selling stocks. I'm not going to hedge these. I'm not going to buy put protection. 
I'm just going to sell these positions. And you see some of that reflected now, uh, which I think is really quite interesting mm -hmm. and, and maybe interesting for, for traders of, of a longer term perspective, um, because you can take advantage of some of the lower priced volatility, I think, to, to play some of the bounces in, in the market. Yeah. And looking at, uh, at slide eight, I got a little ahead of us there, but uh, looking at slide eight, it, it's a good example, I think, of some of the impact. I mean, I, th I think on here you have you know, the performance of the S&P 500, but you also have the X's or all the options expirations. And yeah. you yeah. go ahead. So real quick, because we, we skipped over this, the, the way that the cycle sort of works, and this works on a monthly basis, but also somewhat on a quarterly basis, because a lot of big institutions put quarterly positions on rather than monthly. And so Essentially, what you have is on ex Oxa's expiration, which is approaching on a Friday, pe people's positions start to build in single stocks or, or in equities. And, and as price moves a little bit throughout the month, the options positions build even larger and you get zero DTE piling on there and short dated options positions. And that starts to reinforce the position. So if you look at the S&P now, as we're going to talk about in a minute, there's a lot of positions at 4,300 on the bottom on the downside and 4,400 to the upside in the S&P and gamma uh, and the hedging flow because of the way that options decay, gamma starts to increase at these positions. The hedging flow starts to increase at these positions and you end up getting kind of this pinning effect. And that works both to the upside and the downside. And so what happens is like a clock, as we kind of tick past the days and the weeks, these positions build into expiration. And then an expiration, all the positions expire or a big chunk of positions expire. And that releases the market or releases the stock from its current position or from uh, its current behavior. And again, we'll touch on this to, to, to examine this. So if you're a longer term investor, you own a bunch of calls and, or, or, or if you own a bunch of stock, right? And you're worried that the stock's going to go down. When can I hedge this? Options expiration is very interesting. A lot of stocks will be under pressure because of put flows and, and that pressure will go away uh, during options expiration. And that leads us into this chart here where, look, not every options expiration is this giant meaningful thing, right? But what you see here is that in December of 2018, it marked the low, right? The Mnuchin low, if you remember back to December 2018, the day after options expiration. The most famous one, March of 2020, the market low is the day after options expiration. June of last year, low is the uh, options expiration for June. Those are the quarterly expirations. Those tend to matter more. So a lot of times these options expirations, when they have large positions, uh, can really offer turning points um, that are valuable on a range of timeframes, right? Not just to the day trader, but also to, to people with, you know, even yearly, you know, uh, year year long positions or, or multi year positions. So, in general, like if we have an event that's coming up on the horizon and people start buying a lot of puts, the initial reaction to that, right, is dealers are going to have to sell the underlying, so it's going to drive that down, right? right? But as we get to expiration, if we don't get the major move, the value of those is going down, so the dealers have to reverse what they're doing. Is that is that the general idea? Yeah, that's exactly right. So, you know, if you look at the, the flows here, what I've done is I mapped out the, the size of the delta um, for spiders, idealium cues, you know, the, 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 the big index one. And so what you see here is call delta is in orange and put delta is in blue. And what I want you to sort of notice is one, the size of these bars, but also the balance between puts and calls. This is a pretty balanced expiration, meaning the size of the blue put bar is roughly the size of the orange call bar. So, you know, there's not a, there's not a big dynamic between, hey, this is a market that's crashing and puts are really dominating a value versus calls. And to what you were saying before, if you have a big imbalance, you have the market either moving because of call positions or moving just because of put positions. When those positions are removed, the hedging flows associated with those positions are also removed. And they're actually covered in a lot of times. And that's why I believe that a lot of times in kind of extreme moments like March of 2020, all of these put positions go away 
and all of the hedges associated with those positions are covered, and that can create the bounce in the market. And oftentimes, that bounce correlates with volatility shifting in a rather violent way. And this is the Vanna trade we often talk about, where the VIX doesn't understand its options expiration, the VIX doesn't price that in, but the VIX gets smacked as soon as the market starts to rally off of options expiration, right? And when the VIX goes down, that tends to push the market higher. And, and the, similarly, when the VIX uh, starts to jump, the market gets sold off or, or pressured down. And so, you know, all these ideas are, are intertwined, but they can be triggered by positional events like, like an options expiration. So if I was thinking about, I mean, as you said before, we, we can't really predict, you know, for sure whether these things are going to be turning points or anything like that. But if the, in situations where the odds were the highest, would I want something where, let's say the market has run up a ton and most of the expiring interest is calls? Basically, so the combination of those two things would make it more likely I get a reversal. Is that right? When you have when you have an imbalance in positioning, a lot of calls or a lot of puts, and that goes for a single stock name or the index flows, that imbalance is a signal that that will often reverse or or the markets do for a change in tone. Uh, some of that can be shorter term, you know. Some of it can be longer term, depending on the situation you're looking at. Um, you know, you have extremes, right? March of 2020, such an extreme. January, excuse me, uh, June of last year was an extreme. Uh, September of this year was extreme. So you, so you had these times where, you know, the options flows are magnified and they matter more and that can go for single stocks as well. A couple of these we're going to talk about. Because uh, the other side of the equation is how much hedging flow is there, right? How big are these options positions? That could be tough to assess if you don't have the right tools. Uh, but yeah, you, you may look and say, oh, there's a ton of calls here, but maybe it's a hundred lot of calls. And so even though there's a big, big imbalance, there's just not enough positions to actually matter, right? So you do have to weigh those positions a little bit to see how impactful they may be. And slide 10, you kind of, you're, we're seeing evidence of what you alluded to before, this idea of, you know, 4,300 and 4,500. So can you, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So in between these two, uh, what you'll see here is if you're looking at this chart is there's a ton of positions, balanced position in the S&P 500 at 4,300. We've said that's our floor into, uh, into Wednesday, and I'll explain Wednesday for you. Um, and then the biggest bar smack in the middle here, it's at 4,400. And we said that through Friday's options expiration, we think that's going to be a high of the market. Um, and then. The other kind of notable bar here is way up at 4,500. And what happens above 4,500 is call positions, which is the orange bar, they'll, they'll start to dwindle. And so far, every time we've gotten in this 4,500 position, you can see the call positions stop building. It's kind of like the options market's like, we're not interested above there, right? We're willing to pay up to 4,500, but then the flow really starts to subside. And that's happened a couple of times this year. Uh, and and it seems to, I think I would make the argument that could be, you know, the 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 case here if we start to rally again. If you see those positions build, and we call this our call wall, above 4,500, these call walls start to build above there, it's a sign that the options market's in belief or, or is giving weight to the fact that the market could rally through that. But right now, you know, this 4,500 area is, uh, I think, something that out of October expiration, you want to watch and into November as a possible high. 4,400 for Friday. Um, and then if you break 4,300 of the downside, what you'll notice is that it's mainly put positions, right? It's mainly the blue bars are larger. And so what happens if we break 4,300, that's an area where the S&P could start, the volatility could really start to increase. So if you think about the VIX at 20, <clears throat> right, that implies that the S&P should move, you know, one and a quarter percent every day, right? But if you look at realized volatility, how much the market is actually moving, it's only moving at about 80 basis points a day. So there's this big spread between what the VIX thinks the market's going to do and what the S&P is actually doing. And so if we break 4,300, 
we think the VIX, we, we think that the S&P movement actually starts to catch up to that VIX level, right? Then you actually start to feel that volatility increase. And it's because it's predominantly put positions uh, below 4,300. Yeah, you mentioned low real, realized volatility and the, the next slide shows that. And that's a question I've had, I know from the outside is we've had so much stuff going on in the market that you think would have driven tons of volatility over the past couple of years. And we really haven't seen the high volatility that much. So, I mean, is the answer to that in the options market? I think 100%. Uh, two things. One, my gut, even though it doesn't really show in the data, and, and we see this on a daily basis, um, is that the, the, the positions in the market, some of this is short-dated options, and we could talk about zero DT if you want, and and the, the way that the flows are coming in, it, it, it suppresses volatility. And, and we have a model that measures the one-day volatility, as we showed at the, stop, at the top here. And that model existed before zero DT. It still seems to predict the market pretty well now. And what's interesting about it is that even though the VIX is at 20 and there's all this angst and, and people think the market's about to fall off the face of the earth, the, the daily moves have actually been pretty quiet in the S&P 500. And you can see that in this green line is one month S&P volatility. Right now, it's only about 12.5%. And so if you compare that number to the VIX and you compare that spread, that tells you kind of how much volatility premiums in the market. And so, you know, some people go, oh, is Vanna, you know, are Vanna flows large or small? Is it Vanna impactful or not? And if you see that spread widen out, you know, six, seven, eight points, well, that's telling you there's a lot of, I think, you know, Vanna in the market uh, or Vanna flows kind of as a, as a headline could maybe matter. And so what the point of this is that even though the market has been selling off the S&P, volatility has not been popping, right? It has not really gone crazy where the VIX has gone over 20 and there's been a lot of fear and panic in the market. And we haven't seen the options positioning ready to support that high level of volatility. And I would actually make the argument that I don't think we're going to see it this year. I think we could see VIX test 20 a couple of times. I think the market could sell off 5%, right? Uh, but you're not going to see that volatility spike. And that's because I, I don't see the put demand uh, really materialize. I think people have backed away from wanting to own puts as a hedge. I think that people just sell stock now because rates are changing, uh, you know, the justification for owning a stock. So like, I don't want to own, you know, like Coca-Cola anymore because of Ozempic. That's one of the examples here. So there's all these different reasons, but Owning puts as a way to protect your portfolio has not become a, a a profitable scenario by and large. That would change if credit markets start to crack or you start to get unknown unknowns. So if you think about back to the bank crisis in March, people knew there was problem with banks, right? You just didn't know which bank. There was all these kind of unknowns that were percolating and you could point to it. And and war, in a way, could be that scenario too, right? Is Iran going to join or are these other forces? Are, could this slip into be like a World War III scenario and be really bad for everybody? You know, that could present that element. Well, okay, there is this war, not something yet. And how do I hedge that unknown, right? And, and the credit credit events are that, are that type of situation. Uh, but one of the things we're going to talk about here are yields, yields coming down. You know, there's just a lot of reasons to think that that scenario is not yet on the on the tape. Can you, the next slide talks about skew, which is something, you know, I didn't totally, I mean, I understood the concept, but I didn't to totally understand it, you know, before I started following a lot of you guys. So can you, can you talk about what skew is and then what we're seeing in this chart? Yeah, I thought this was interesting because this is a snapshot from Friday. I believe the skew is getting pounded today because the market's rallying. There's two skews. There's the skew index from the SIBO, S-K-E-W, and that looks at the price of out-of-the-money options relative to at-the-money options. And, and what that's basically telling you is, whether those out-of-the-money options are gaining in value relative to the at-the-money. And the value of that is saying people are hedging an, uh, a volatile event, right? I'm going to buy out-of-the-money calls or puts if I think the market's about to move a lot. 
And it could be a little bit confusing, the SIBO, because it, the SIBO includes calls and puts. If you look at the SDEX, this is the nation's SKU index, which SDEX, he only measures puts, out of the money puts versus at the money puts. And the idea there is simply, look, people are worried that there's going to be a tail risk event, 5 to 10% drop in the market, right, because of oh, escalation and war or whatever it may be. I'm going to buy out of the money puts to hedge myself. If I want to get long volatility, I got to own out of the money puts. And so when this SDEX spikes, it's telling you that people are tail hedging, right? They're, they're hedging a precipitous drop or what, they, what they're worried about may be a precipitous drop in the market. So this is really just telling you that downside demand is there and it's real. Sometimes you'll see the big spike, for example, uh, but you won't see skew spike. And what that's telling you is kind of at the money demand, at the money vol is picking up. Usually that's a reflection of the market's just moving more, but maybe skew isn't popping off, which tells us that there's not this out of the, out of the, uh, out of the money demand for put options, right? So it's giving you a view into behaviors a little bit. And so when SKU spikes like this again, it's telling you that there is real fear there. There is demand for these out-of-the-money puts. Uh, people are concerned about something. It's not something that's more maybe technically driven uh, um, or positionally driven, right? It, it, it's showing us there is demand. And not only that, when this SKU gets low, very low, and you can see there's a couple periods here uh, where that SKU drops a lot, I could be telling you that volatility is maybe getting too cheap, right? Because there's two sides of the equation always. There's people are paying too much or people aren't giving enough respect to out-of-the-money options prices. And that can often be a sign that, hey, the market's too complacent here. Maybe I want to buy some hedges, right? Because the market is underpricing uh, large moves. I'm wondering, is skew predictive at all? So in other words, I would think on one hand, like if people are buying tons of way out of the money protection on the downside, that could be a sign something's bad is about to happen. But we also have kind of learned that that eventually, you know, ends up, People get too crazy and they over, they over, they overpay for that downside protection and it becomes an opportunity in the upside. So, is this at all predictive of like what happens in the future? I think you can take some of these major lows that you've seen over time here, and you know it appears there is kind of a lower bound in this metric as you can see. And I think it's interesting or useful uh, from that. I don't think in and of itself you can use it as a you know it, it could be a variable so to speak into your into a strategy, but I don't think in and of itself you could use it a, as a strategy. So. Uh, it's a factor. Um, and to the upside, it's, I think, a little bit less conclusive, right? Because there's not, there's, there's not really an upper bound to this as there is such a lower bound. I mean, the lower bound is very clear, right? And that's because if you think about it, the market, realized well, it can only go so low, right? There's a, there's a floor. The market's going to move. The S&P is going to move at least 10 or 20 points a day, right? If you start betting that the market's going to move less than 10, 10 or 20 points a day, you're, you're probably going to lose. Like, it doesn't take much. Like the market can move up 50 bips, right? Um, as well as down 50 bips. So that creates this this lower bound of volatility, which is what is reflected in this skew index hitting like 51-ish, right? Or 50 on the chart. Uh, whereas volatility in theory could go to a million to the upside, right? So that's what makes it harder to, to use as a as a, a a bottoming predictor, right? So you want to think about the skew index or this SDEX at 50 as a, as a top, uh, as a signal that maybe volatility has hit its lows, right? And the market's kind of topping out. How about the, this next slide? You're, you're talking about the S&P uh, SPX variance premium, and a lot of people probably won't know what that is. So can you just talk about what that is and what we're seeing here? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so variance is, is really just another word for volatility. And, and this comes from a book by Yuan Sinclair. He calls it the variance premium. And, you know, he's a great uh, options educator and, and the market maker. And, um, you know, so, so props in for this. And what it basically shows you is the VIX minus one month S&P realized volatility. So just a little bit earlier here, we showed where that slide go. One month realized vol, right? 12.5 for the S&P 500, excuse me. And so this is taking the one month VIX 
the VIX, which measures one month options on a rolling basis, subtracts that one month S&P realized ball. And when this spread or this level hits this upper bound, kind of around the 90th percentile here, that's telling us that there's a big volatility premium. And you can see it, it's very small here, but you can see that spike, right? This last spike. That's because on Thursday, the VIX was much lower compared to the S&P 500. Then, then all of a sudden the VIX got bit up because everyone was worried about the war, right? On Friday. So the VIX went up four or five points and that spread, you can see, widened out. And when that spread widens out, that's telling you that people are paying up for options and there's not a lot of realized volatility. So there's, there's this extra amount of premium, which in theory makes it juicier for volatility sellers to come in and short, right? You want know, to sell VIX futures into that or some people like to sell VXX or those inverse spreads, is, right? It's telling you that volatility might be a little bit rich. And oftentimes these big spikes are due to events. Like you mentioned, you know, the, the Biden-Trump election or, you know, wars are a common one. Uh, CPI numbers started to get kind of a volatility premium when those were, you know, late last year. That, you know, that's all that mattered was the CPI and that would get, get the volatility premium, you know, bit up. To the downside here, the same thing can work where there's not enough volatility premium baked into the market, right? Maybe the VIX is at 10 and realized vol is at nine. And, you know, there's, it's, the, the juice has been squeezed out. That volatility premium has been squeezed out. And that spread is likely to widen because there's not really any else for volatility to go, right? It's that volatility lower bound we were just talking about. And so you can monitor this spread on several different time frames. And I think it's very valuable as a risk parameter, right? If we're getting down towards the bottom 10th percentile here and you're long a lot of equities, well, maybe you want to add some put protection to your portfolio because puts are cheap, but also there's not a whole lot of places for volatility to go, right? So that may benefit me as a, as a timing indicator uh, for my portfolio for, for adding hedges. Uh, so and, conversely, and then conversely, if we're up around this top line and I own put protection, maybe I want to roll it out or maybe I want to adjust it or maybe this is a good time to add some equity exposure because maybe this premium is telling me that the market's due for a rally. And that, that thing we see in 2020, it was just basically because realized volatility went crazy. Yeah, um, so the, well, this is actually, so, you know, you hit options expiration in March of 2020, right? All these puts get wiped out. The Fed actually uh, had implemented a program, ironically, at that same time, I think it was the Monday or Tuesday following, right? So you had all these forces to make the market rip. And so realized volatility is a 30-day 30 30 or 20-day, depending on measure, rolling window. So it takes a long time. It takes 20 days for that March sell-off to come out of that rolling window. However, what happens is the VIX collapses immediately as soon as the market starts to rally and the Fed says, hey, we got your back. Okay. VIX drops precipitously, but that rolling realized volatility windows, you know, still got those big sell-offs in it, right? So it takes a little while for it to come out. One of the things we want to do in this, and we're going to, in every episode, we are going to talk about the S&P 500 and we're going to do some educational stuff like we did, but we also want to talk about some other things you're seeing in areas outside of the S&P 500. And, you know, one of the most interesting things we've been seeing recently is as much as there has not been a lot of that volatility S&P 500, there's been tons of volatility in rates, particularly in the long-term rates. So you, you've got this chart of yields driving equity vol, the VIX versus the 10 years. So can you talk about that a little bit? I'm going to first preface all this by saying I stay out of the macro pool. Um, I, I don't envy people who have to wade through that market right now. So, you know, I'm not here to offer a view on rates. I'm, I'm here to offer a view on how the options market seems to be reacting to rates. Uh, so don't don't take anything here as a forecast on, on rates and then yell at me later. Uh, but what you see here is this is a chart over the last, you know, two, three weeks. And the, it's the 10-year yield versus the VIX. And the two are moving right now in lockstep. Uh, because rates have become such a focus and that was amplified really uh, kind of in the end of September and over the last couple of weeks where, you know, the, the more 
rates, specifically as the 10-year would go up, you would see the VIX spike and the, and the two would move in correlation. And, and the issue is here that, you know, there, there's a bunch of reasons to watch this. And, and obviously, we all know that higher rates now are bad for equities. Um, but the fact that the two are so linked right now is very interesting to me. Uh, and it forces somebody like me who's an option trader to start watching rates and, and pay attention to these dates where, you know, rates will get repriced because of CPI or, you know, whatever, whatever other uh, data points may come along. And so as equity traders or options traders, we're all sort of, you know, just rates traders in disguise at the moment. But where these things can decouple, I would say, is that if rates just stop going up, they can stay flat uh, or they can come down. In either scenario, bald likely to come down, right? The VIX is likely to decouple. And I think that would be a, a real risk on indicator for the market uh, when this decoupling takes place. Um Threatened to decouple a little bit. You could argue it's decoupling a little bit over these last couple of days. I mean, you know, day to day doesn't really matter. This is a little bit of a longer term view. Um, I think vol is getting crushed. I would just say also because we have a big VIX expiration on Wednesday, and I think that helps to suppress volatility a little bit. So after this Wednesday, you know, you could see these two resync. I mean, the rates have have climbed a little bit over these last few days. So this is a really key thing to watch. Even if you're an options trader and equities only, you got to be aware of rates. But again, the signal when I think the VIX and race to couple, I think will be a real risk on, you know, metric to watch. And, and that could happen in the end of year. I'm just curious, is what we're seeing right now, the exception rather than the rule? Like if I looked at a really, really long-term chart of this, would they be decoupled more than they're coupled like this? Oh, decoupled for sure. Yeah. Okay. You know, most of us, and I'm 43, most of us have not seen an interest rate environment like this, right? This is all new to us. Uh, you can, you can back test it all you want, but you know, after 2008 rates have only gone one direction, right? And so, you know, rates right, rising at this rate and this level of inflation and all these things, a lot of people have never seen anything like this before. Um, and so these phenomenons, a lot, of, a lot of them are new. And, you know, the ramifications of them have to be kind of weighed out in real time. And, and, uh, and so, you know, it is something that you have to adjust to and it, it is different. Yeah. So on the next slide, you're looking at some things that would be rate sensitive. You're looking at XLU, TLT, KRE, and ARC. Um, and you're kind of looking at what they've done here as rates have gone up. Yeah. And, and, and since August, these things have all been pummeled. I mean, you have, you have regional banks, which are, have been reporting earnings over the last today, like Schwab was up. JP Morgan is obviously not a regional bank, but, but they kind of said everything is okay. So they're catching a little bit of a bid there, which is a good sign. But you know, utilities have been crushed. TLT has been crushed. That's the long bond ETF. And then ARC, which is obviously very sensitive to rates, down 22% since August. So these, these names are getting just smoked. And Again, I'm not here to offer you an analysis on on whether rates are going to change and, and these are going to rally. What I'm going to show you is how what the options market is telling you about the positions and why it may matter to you as a, a longer-term uh, investor. So I think you get into that in the next slide here with TLT. Yeah, so let's look at TLT, which is, again, the the, the long-term U.S. bond. And, and what you can see, it's a little tough to show, but I want to show a very long-term chart. Call volume in TLT has really spiked. Uh, it's record call volume. It's record open interest in TLT calls. Uh, and put volumes, they're elevated, but call volumes are in blue here. They're significantly higher. And so what's happened is as TLTs come down to this 87 to 85 uh, level, people are betting and looking for exposure to bet that there could be a rally at rates because of a pause or whatever it may be. And the calls offer a lot of upside convexity in that situation. Calls, I would say, have gotten a little bit rich. And so actually, I, I did a video this morning with my buddy Imran uh, where we suggested a buy right position because call implied vol has gotten a little bit high. Uh, that's become a little bit of a crowded trade. And one thing I want to emphasize here is that 
in no way do I think hedging flows from TLT can work back into the long bond market and move it. I mean, bonds are so much larger than the TLT, you know, call option space. It's not like this is a meme stock. But from a sentiment perspective, I think it's fascinating. People are trying to buy this dip. This is telling me that there's some conviction coming into the market that people don't think long bonds are going to, I would argue, go go much higher rates. I don't know if that's right or wrong. It's simply what the data is telling me. Yeah. So I think to, to your point, the the percentage of options flows like in something like the long-term bond market, you know, is a lot lower than it is in something like the equity market. 100%. If you look at NVIDIA, just as an example, uh, we could have, you know, $300 million of deltas trade in NVIDIA in a single day. And when you weigh about that versus the market cap in NVIDIA, it's huge, right? But, you know, the bond market is, you know, just unbelievably massive and, and TLTs, you know, this is a lot of options flow. You know, you could have 10, 20, 30 million dollars of deltas hedging pressure on options flow, but that's not going to change the, uh, that's not going to have any impact on long-term bonds. It can have an impact on implied volatility and what dealers are willing to say, I'm going to sell you this call for, I think. Uh, but, it, you know, we're not, I'm not offering this suggestion that there's so much flow into TLT calls that we're going to uh, change the long-term rates. Like, you know, I don't think I want to confuse that. I just want to make sure I'm clear. <laughs> so, yeah. So in this next slide, you're getting into TLT a little bit more. Um, can, can you talk about what you're showing there? Yeah. So there, there's two things to notice here. I'm going to talk about the top left first. And I think this is the most insightful thing for a longer-term investor. Just as we see calls pouring into the market, what we did here was we're measuring gamma by strike. And and the last bar that I have my cursor over here, uh, again, calls and puts are fairly even, which is one thing to note. But below 85, there's hardly any put positions. So if you were going to try to bet that rates were going to go higher in the long end, you couldn't really trade bonds directly. You didn't want to. You trade, you'd buy TLT puts as a way to express that downside. <clears throat> People aren't doing it. They're not betting that we're going down below 85, right? Doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It's just there's no put positions out there. And you can see the calls in the orange bars are, are fairly stacked above. So I think that's extremely interesting from a sentiment perspective. Not only are people laying the calls, there's really not any bets that long-term rates are, are set to go uh, or change that much more because obviously the rates that go up, TLT will go down. The second thing is if you look at on the bottom right here, which I don't think is interesting, it's skew. Uh, this is our measure of skew. We call it our risk reversal, which is the light blue line. And what that is showing us is what is the price of a put relative to a call? And so even though you have these kind of elevated call volumes, right, uh, we're not seeing call implied volatility really raise. And, and if call implied volatility or demand was really picking up on the long side, then you would see this risk reversal metric kind of spike. So even though we're getting these long-term calls that are coming into the market, um, you can make the case that it's not reflecting necessarily it's not demand is not yet reflecting in kind of dealer positioning and the cost of actual call options, um, which is suggesting that some of these calls that are layered in the market are getting sold rather than necessarily puts being bought. I think there's two different trades, right? Um, I could sell a call and if the market goes down, the call very quickly goes to zero and I collect my premium. It's also an expression. I don't think that the rates are set to pop a whole lot yet. So what you have here in summary, is people aren't betting that TLT is about to go down below 85, right? They, they are starting to bet that rates are going to rally or TLT, excuse me, that TLT is going to rally, that rates may pause. Um, and that, from a sentiment perspective, I think is, is very interesting in the way that things are positioned. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, neither, neither you nor I are, are experts in the bond market, but it is interesting. Like when we see this huge period we've seen, you know, where we had really low rates, it's almost like we're so programmed with that, that like as, T, as rates go up here, people want to buy these call options, believing 
you know, we're going to go back to at least lower rates. Like we're going to get that need reversion. That, I don't know what that tells us about whether we're going to get it or not, but it, it's just interesting to me. I mean, we've all been programmed like in this world of low rates and now we're getting this world of high rates and, and we seem to think they're going back down. Yeah. And if you, if you thought that there was going to be a significant, again, spike in rates, you, you would express that through TLT. And you could see that there are times in this light blue bar where, you know, the, the cost of calls relative to puts really jump. Like there, there was this time where people are like, oh, rates are going to spike here. Rates are going to spike here. I think we're done. Or excuse me, TLT is going to spike here. I think rates are going to drop. Right. And that's what the higher blue bars or, or blue lines of this chart are expressing. And so it's very interesting to me when TLT finally hit 85, it's like the actual call values have declined, even though call volumes are, are kind of increasing. It's sort of like the market is kind of exhausted here. Like people have, are, are trading a lot of these calls, but there doesn't seem to be that pricing impact yet. And so, you know, that, that exhaustion, the fact that this blue line isn't spiking is almost telling me that people have sort of lost faith a little bit, right? Like throwing in the towel a little bit. Like I'm not betting this is going any lower, um, but that, that could be a sign to me again that, that we may be maxed out on, on rates in the short term. So in the next two slides, you're looking at the same exact two charts, but you're looking at them for XLU um, instead yeah. of TLT. So you're seeing similar things there? Yeah, XLU's gotten pounded. There, there's more puts over the last couple of, you know, early in October, which is what the red line reflects, right? Um, but as XLU hit the 55 area, then call volumes popped. And you can see these are record call volumes and record put volumes. Um, and XLU has bounced since we kind of put this slide together up towards the 60 level and if you look at the positioning it's very similar to uh tlt in that there are hardly any positions below 55 in xlu it's kind of like that we've established that that is the bottom um you know you, you do have this bar here at 50 and we were at the 55 level but you know the, the put positioning which you can really see by the curve of this blue line here really dried up right and so you know yes people wanted to sell utilities and this kind of thing but the bet the explicit bet in the options land that this was going to drive a lot has really dried up. And I think because this is a rate sensitive instrument, it sort of syncs with the idea of TLT that look, this stuff has gotten very stretched. And at least in the short term, the interest on in betting that uh, there's going to be another leg down has really dried up. Um, and, and so again, if you're a longer term investor, I think these are really interesting signals, right? Because these are flows and moves in names to multi-year lows and often in many cases, um, and, and demand, right, that sentiment perspective drawing up, I think is very interesting. So I want to skip to slide 24. And, you know, we can't we can't do a podcast Friday without talking about the Mag 7. And this this always like it, it always changes. You know, it was the thing, then it was the fan mag, then it's the Mag 7. Like I can't keep track of what it is, but uh, apparently this is what it is now. But uh, what, what are you seeing in that area? Yeah, so Mag 7, uh, those are the Magnificent 7. That's driving everything. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at breadth indicators, all the like, uh, what you see is that, you know, this is the engine of the market. And there's tons of studies about that. I'm sure everyone's aware. What I think is really interesting is, is this index here is the MGC, which is the Vanguard. I believe it's the equally related Magnificent 7 index. And it it, it peaked in August. It made another attempt in, in September. So it peaked in August at 162, this particular ETF. And it's currently at 155. And what I think is interesting from that, if you're looking at long-term perspective, is there's a lot of options positioning in the October expiration for this. There's a lot of call positioning and this was taken on Friday morning when all these names started to rally. This is what we call our fixed strike ball dashboard. And there's three stocks of the seven that I offer here just for screen real estate. I have an NVIDIA, Apple, and Microsoft. And what you'll notice here is we have expiration on the Y-axis. And then on the X-axis is the strikes, all the available strikes. 
this is essentially giving you a matrix or a grid of implied volatility for uh, these names. And it's the, the change in implied volatility over uh, from uh, 10 to, to, to essentially uh, last Friday, right? So how much did implied volatility change even though these names have all rallied, right, here? And so what you see is that these names, as they all approached kind of multi-year highs, right, they all kind of rallied a little bit. The fact that you're seeing all these upside areas turn red, right? Some of the very bright red is telling us that people are selling calls as these stocks are rallying. So even though you have, let's say, the NVIDIA rallying to new highs, right, of 450 or so, the fact that these areas in here are red for near-term expirations, right, uh, November expirations, et cetera, tells that the implied volatilities of those strikes are coming down. That happens when people generally are selling calls, right? That's, that means the implied volatility of these names drop because investors are selling options. The value of those options are going down. That means implied volatility is going down and you're seeing red. So that's telling me, informing me that the options market has been selling into the strength of the Magnificent Seven as it has rallied uh, to, to these recent kind of, you know, not too far off of, of, of uh, near-term highs. So if I was a longer-term investor in these baskets, I too would maybe want to consider selling calls if I was given the opportunity or, or being aware of this fact that the options market is not really looking to bid up these names into these real-time highs, if they are recent highs. If they were, then you would see a lot more green on this screen as opposed to these kind of pockets of red uh, that I hope are clear in these graphs. So, uh, yeah, the, the the final section we did here was really interesting because uh, I haven't been following the Ozempic thing very much, and I didn't even know what the word came from. So you actually uh, you actually found that. So I looked it up. I understand this options lingo getting a little bit dry. So here's your, uh, here is your uh, little tidbit for the day. The name Ozempic comes from the word Ozemp, which is the fictional land in the Wizard of Oz. So the idea is that Ozempic is meant to evoke sense and wonder and possibility, the possibility of you losing a lot of weight. So uh, that's what the name Ozempic means. I just thought that was kind of interesting. And, you know, Novartis and Eli Lilly, I think, have been the beneficiaries of these. Um, not a huge options name, Novartis, but what you can see is that there's been tremendous rally in the stock. And Walmart came out and said, look, this is, we think this is affecting our sales of some of, you know, the garbage food that we offer. Um, and so what you see here is from August into recent, you know, couple of days and weeks, and McDonald's and some of these other names have some other situations going on. So, you know, I'm being a little coy with the Ozempic trade here, but these names are getting crushed, right? McDonald's, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, this is Hershey in green, right? These stocks are down significantly from August highs. Um, and so I call this the Ozempic trade just because it seems like, you know, there's this inverse correlation here. And again, I'm only looking at the options market, not not the underlying data. But what we find very interesting here, just like in Coca, uh, just like in TLT and McDonald's, as these stocks are making some of them significant lows, put interest is now really dried up, right? And we are not seeing a big demand in put uh, options. And and so implied volatilities for these names are actually pretty low which tells me that they were sold because of the Ozempic trade or for whatever other reason may go on. Maybe the Magnificent 7 is sucking a lot of this volume away. Uh, but the options market in a lot of these names has stopped betting, sorry about that, have stopped betting uh, that these names are going to go significantly lower. And what's interesting from an options perspective is maybe you think these, these moves are overdone. Because implied vol has not really reacted, it's actually pretty cheap to buy calls to bet on rallies back or recoveries in some of these names. And I think uh, you know, for longer terms, investors, leaps could be very interesting here. Maybe you don't want to stick your toe in the water 
Uh, but this is a great situation, I think, where you can use call exposure in these names to bet on upside because that implied volatility has been pretty cheap despite the fact that stocks crash. Generally, when stocks crash, implied vol goes up, and then it tells you that you don't want to buy the options, right, because they're too expensive. Um, so, you know, I think that's really an interesting situation. Um, and I just wanted to show this chart of XLP, which is Consumer Stable DTF. There's not a lot of put demand to my point here, which is the red line. What you see is a spike in calls. And what's interesting is if you just quickly look at this, the spike in calls, which is the blue bar, is associated with a lot of short-term lows, some even significant lows, uh, in XLP, right, which is, which is reflected in a lot of these consumer staple names. So, you know, the spike in call activity is kind of a signal here that, hey, maybe we do have, uh, maybe we can make the case for a short-term balance in the Ozempic online trade, I'll just call it, uh, as a way to, to factorize it. What's funny is, I don't know if it's been true of you guys, but if, if I was existing only in the forehand house, I'd be buying extreme call options on the sugary, <laughs> the sugary staples or whatever they're called because my, my kids, that's pretty much all they're eating. So uh, I guess the market is disagreeing with me. Yeah, uh, I would say sure. I mean, it's pretty miraculous what's happening. And, and, I, and I know there's labor issues with McDonald's and some other things, but a lot of these sugary names are getting crushed. And, you know, I think it's been a, there's, a, there's some interesting, you know, Twitter feeds out there that put on these spread trades and different things around these names. And, and I just think that, you know, just like you could argue rates maybe got a little too stretched. Uh, there were some signs that, you know, just, just emotions, right? Or the VIX got too high on Friday. Right? I think some of this could be so much MAG7 pulling, you know, money away. The Ozempic trade compounds it. And maybe valuations are getting interesting in some of these things. And you're seeing things like, you know, I don't know if Dollar General or Dollar Store is in the XLP or not. But some of these names that I think are maybe possibly linked to this are starting to bounce, you know, kind of sharply here and, and, the options market spike in call volume is, is an interesting sentiment in a care. Thanks, Brent, for sharing all this great, you know, information with us. I think a lot of the stuff that you've pulled is obviously from your, your premium research that, you know, sub subscribers pay a lot of money for. So, you know, you've been generous um, and we'll do this in future episodes too, to, you know, highlight the content, highlight the trends and things that you're seeing in the options markets to help investors and also traders hopefully make better you know, decisions um, and make more profitable decisions and manage risk more appropriately and better. So um, if anyone has um, any feedback, um, we're all ears. If you have any questions specifically for Brent or Jack and I, feel free to um, get in touch with us. And then we'll try to, as we mentioned at the outset, we'll try to do these monthly. And I, I would highly encourage, you know, there was a lot of um, great, but in-depth information that Brent shared with us. So definitely reference the visuals because that's how you're going to get, I think, the most out of the information that was shared today. Again, you can go over to our YouTube channel or you can download um, using the link in the description. You can download the PDF. So thanks everyone for uh, checking uh, this first episode of OpEx out and we'll see you next time. This is Justin again. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. If you found this discussion interesting and valuable, please subscribe in either iTunes or on YouTube or leave a review or a comment. We appreciate it. No information on this podcast should be construed as investment advice. Securities discussed in the podcast may be holdings of clients of Lydia.